to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast for Thursday, September 1st. We made it. It's not quite the final month of the season, but it's the final full month of the regular season. About 30 games left for most teams, so we are very much in the stretch run. On this episode, we're going to discuss the 2022 rookie class hitters because we've seen a lot of good rookies come through over the course of this year. We're going to start talking about what has been accomplished so far this season and what we think the future holds for a lot of these players, many of whom we'll be talking about probably for the next decade or so because it looks like this is a very good rookie class. And fun fact, Al, as we get started on this Thursday, 31 rookie position players have a WRC plus of 100 or better. I filtered down to 50 plate appearances as a minimum. Um, That, of course, includes some older players who are reaching the big leagues for the first time. I think Joey Manessis actually leads all rookies in WRC plus if you lower the plate appearance threshold to that level. Um, Not necessarily your prototypical rookie player that we're excited about for the long-term future, but gives you an idea just how the young players as a whole are doing in their first exposure to big league pitching this season. Well, that is a fun fact. And the having having Joey Manessis at the top of the leaderboard is like a bonus fun fact. So uh, that's really cool. And I'm, I like the way that, that you're framing this because it, it makes me feel a little bit better for how I, I've perceived this season in terms of rookies because it, it does seem like there have been just a ton of really good rookies. And... Also, it, maybe it is because of the change in the uh, in the collective bargaining and with um, uh, less of an incentive to manipulate uh, player service time. Because my recollection DVR in the past is that you know once you get past like June, most of the the impact rookies they've they've already come up, and you get maybe another you know wave around like the trade trade deadline. But it just seems like it's been a very steady stream almost throughout the entire season. And in looking at um, rookie leaderboards, I-, I was kind of surprised by some of the names that are now have sort of become afterthoughts that were, you know, rookies that we thought might be, you know, rookie of the year candidates in the first couple months of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think the two favorites for a lot of people were Bobby Witt Jr. and Julio Rodriguez, at least in the American League. Um, Spencer Torkelson probably wasn't far behind them just because I think the expectation was he would be a high floor player who was likely to stay in the big leagues all season and hit in the middle third of an order and get plenty of opportunities to just rack up uh, good counting stats alongside some pretty good power. And Torkelson's among the players that didn't really have a dedicated place on the rundown because it hasn't worked out for him yet. But I think players like that kind of merit almost their own episode entirely. Like where, when you, when you look through all the what went wrong players, who are you most interested in for the future? So we'll file that away for a, a future episode, September, October, you know, pro- probably more September though, if I had to uh, ballpark it. But it was Julio Rodriguez versus Bobby Witt Jr. We talked about it a lot. I said at least four or five times on this show alone, I just didn't feel comfortable paying sticker price for Bobby Witt Jr. on draft day. He had a much higher ADP than Rodriguez. I thought of the two, Rodriguez made more sense from a value perspective because you could wait until at the end of draft season, more like pick 125 to 150. He jumped up a lot with a great spring, but that was still three or four rounds later than where Witt was going by his ADP for almost all of draft season. And if you drafted earlier, the chances you could take on Rodriguez were more like after pick 200. In some cases, you get him after pick 300. 
clearly the return on both players has been great. We're talking about two guys who have been right around $30 in earn value. I use the Rotowire earn value tool. I usually look at that for a 15-team league. You could obviously, if you're a subscriber of that site, you can mess around with that tool. You could use the auction calculator at Fangraphs and get numbers that are more in line with the size of the league that you play in. But what's amazing is, you know, we do have people who've started early drafts. I know Rob DiPietro at Deadpool Hitter on Twitter uh, had a, a start of a draft a few weeks ago that he put up. And both Rodriguez and Witt went in the first round of that draft. So we've gone from midsummer when Clay Link joined me on Rates and Barrels. He was one of the first people I heard talking about Rodriguez as a first rounder for 2023. We've gone from that to Rodriguez was a fourth overall pick in the Deadpool hitter draft that I just referenced to Wit also joining him as the 14th overall pick in that room, full of NFBC players and industry folks and just really sharp people who I think give us a decent snapshot of what is likely to come in the months ahead. So uh, as you look at the profiles of these two players, do you think there is at least a, a 10 pick gap between them in terms of their overall value and expectations for 2023 because I do think some of the some of the concerns I had about Wit that kept me away from him in redraft leagues this year they're still there despite the fact that he's having an amazing season he's probably going to go 2030 this year which is a great rookie season so it almost feels like I'm already picking nits in a, a great <laughs> player's rookie season yeah and maybe a, a shot at th- uh, at 80 runs 80 RBIs on a Royals team that uh, you know definitely is not optimal for run production so. Uh, I agree, though. I, I think that uh, a 10-pick gap is probably justified. And part of the reason I think that is just the way that Rodriguez's season played out, because if you remember early on, the batting average was really low. And the thing that was really giving him a lot of value was the steals, more so than a lot of us expected. And then that kind of flipped as the season went on. So you saw that he was capable of providing that that well-rounded uh, fantasy profile with maybe more upside than what would which showed this year, um, you know, because the power really came on, uh, you know, in, in a much bigger kind of spurt later on, um, as opposed to just, you know, very, very steadily uh, all season long. So you figure maybe if he sustains that for a full year with the uh, with the steals, with the batting average, the batting average higher than I was certainly expecting a strikeout rate that you can live with for Rodriguez. And then, you know, he, it seems like there's a lot of room for him to just go up, uh, given how young he is. Yeah, so Rodriguez, if you knock out the first month of the season, and I'm doing the same thing for Wit here in just a moment, if you go from May 1st forward, Julio Rodriguez is 18th among all hitters in WRC+, 144, 44% better than league average hitter, 21 home runs since May 1st, 14 stolen bases, uh, 58 runs, 59 RBIs, a sub 25% K rate, walking 6.5% of the time. I think of the players who have been better in terms of WRC plus during that time frame since May 1st, only one has a lower walk rate. That would be Starling Marte. But we're talking about a guy who's seeing big league pitching for the very first time. It would be surprising to me if Rodriguez didn't improve both with the walk rate and the strikeout rate, given how advanced he is for his age. I mean, this is this is remarkable. This is an outstanding rookie season. The hype seems completely warranted. Uh, good for him getting the mega deal that, you know, he keeps him in Seattle for 12 years, I think it is. So it's a, 
it's a really strong profile. I have no strong argument right now against Rodriguez as a first round pick in 2023. I don't know if anyone does at the moment. The, the only little warp seems to be that walk rate, but age to level helps cover that a lot. You know, with Wit, it's a 251, 292, 446 line. That doesn't look like the line of a, a typical first round player. So maybe you could say, oh, right, I'm, I'm going to put him at 20 or 25, possibly 30 on an overall list. I think if you put him at 30, you might not get him anywhere. There's a good chance that mid-second round is the cutoff, the, the late point for drafts where Wit will go. But I guess the, the broader question, and you can apply this to Wit, you can apply this to other players we're going to talk about over the course of this episode, what else can give you some confidence in a player's ability to improve the plate skills and how much does the the body of work in the minor leagues actually matter when we've talked a lot about the differences in quality between pitching at various levels Bobby Witt Jr. playing at AAA last year 22.5% K rate I think it's actually really encouraging that against better pitching this year his K rate's the same even though the walk rate has has evaporated and cut in half the strikeout rate holding steady is the most pleasant surprise that I did not see coming from him. And I think that gives me a lot of optimism about his chances of continuing to get better with his plate skills as well. Well, and so you kind of answered part of the question for me, which is that you, you saw a similar skill set in the minors. So you figure as a major leaguer that that's probably the floor, given how close he's come to replicating that this year. And just the mere fact of his age, uh, 22, that you figure uh, that that walk rate could improve, that there could be further improvement in the strikeout rate in the isolated power um you know maybe the the stolen bases are you know at or near their peak but obviously you can you can live with that with everything else that that would brings to the table and and i think that you know come next year i would probably project him for for a higher batting average because he's not hit a lot of line drives this year that's not based on one season a stat that i really put any weight on at all so you look at the rest of his profile and figure there's going to be some skills improvement and there's probably just going to be some random fluctuation that's going to play in his favor. Yeah, I think when you look at line drive rate, I, I the first thing I do is actually say, is this higher or lower than expected? And then I go to something that's a little more clear, like hard hit rate. I want to know, rather than rather than trust the, the classifications of, someone manually scoring fly balls versus line drives. Which I think it's hard. It's a hard thing to do you, in, in the moment, making those quick decisions. There's a lot of, a lot of balls that are well struck that could look like one and be classified as the other. So I think for me, I'm always looking at just hard hit rate, number of balls, percentage of balls hit at 95 plus, because that helps me, I guess helps me feel more confident about the consistency of the contact quality and a lot of times you'll find hard hit rate, slightly low barrel rate on a player, and you'll see, oh, they hit the ball on the ground a lot. And then you can kind of look back at previous years, previous stops in the minors. Do they have the ability to hit the ball in the air more consistently? Have they shown that in the past? Can they? Can we reasonably expect some sort of adjustment based on either that sort of profile or even the organizational track record of getting hitters to make those adjustments and hit the ball in the air more often? I mean, an example from a non-rookie might be Nathaniel Lowe in Texas this year you know, with Donnie Ecker. I think that was a, a, a series of events where they changed up the, the hitting coordinator 
in Texas, and we saw in the underlying numbers with low for a long time, the quality of the contact was good. He just needed to lift the ball, and you could start to kind of map out a, a path ahead for him to reach the level that he's been able to reach so far. So I think it's it, it's for me, it's looking at the underlying numbers to make sure that they they're where they need to be. And I think with a player like Wit, I don't see. I don't see anything in the underlying numbers that would really give me pause. I, I like that he hits the ball all over the field too, right? If you look at his minor league pull rates compared to his major league pull rates, he's using the field really well and not necessarily going the opposite way too much when you consider how the ball has played this year too. If he was going the opposite way a lot more than he is, you might say, oh, the power sort of capped right now based on on all these other factors. But I, I really like this profile it's much more balanced than i expected it to be yeah and it, as you were just intimating there's there's room for growth uh from it so uh yeah there's a lot to like here you know even with that i would have a clear preference for julio rodriguez next year but uh yeah that's that's extremely high bar to try to meet yeah 40.2 percent hard hit rate by the way for wit 8.9 percent barrel rate that's pretty good 37.3 percent o swing little on the high side but again a 22-year-old rookie, there's plenty of room for improvement. I think Michael Harris is sort of the the leader in the next group. Players that are on a similar level but haven't been up all season. If they had been, maybe the dollars earned this season would be closer to that $30 level that we're seeing from Rodriguez and Witt. Uh, the more we've looked at Harris in recent weeks, the more I see similarities in the profile to Bo Bichette, who became an early rounder very quickly. You know, a lower walk rate for the time being, but we've seen better walk rates in the upper levels of the minor leagues from Harris for the brief time that he spent at Double A before he came up. High O swing percentage has been a part of the story so far. The question comes back to how much we think he's going to adjust. And it just seems like there's so many ways for Harris to return a lot of value in fantasy leagues. He's a very efficient base dealer, clearly has legitimate power. And even if that batting average is a tick on the high side right now, if he comes down from 298 and lands somewhere in the high 260, low 270 range and does a lot of the same things in that lineup, playing defense as good as he plays defense and being in the lineup pretty much every day, that's going to be a really nice follow-up sort of campaign from him. It is. And he, you know, he may be a relative bargain next year. I, you know, we can't really say at this point because I don't know where, uh, you know, where he'll go in drafts. It's hard to say, but, um, you know, just to put it in perspective, I'm looking at war rankings among rookies on, uh, on fan graphs and, uh, they break it down both by offensive and defensive runs above average in terms of total war. It's a, it's a virtual tie at the top between Julio Rodriguez and Michael Harris. And in terms of just the offensive side, which is obviously more relevant to us in fantasy, um, less than a run than a half less behind Rodriguez in about two thirds of the plate appearances. That's, that's amazing. And yeah, you're right. DVR. I mean, some of that is um, the result of a, a batting average that's probably inflated and, you know, he, on a per game basis, he's not likely to do the same next year, but I mean, still to basically be on a par with Julio Rodriguez in terms of offensive production this year in two thirds of the plate appearances, you figure if he goes, you know, much later than Rodriguez or or Witt, um, you're, you're probably getting a better value. Potentially, yeah, I, I would agree. And I think the the bigger challenge for me with a, a player like Witt, especially if the ADP ends up being late first round, 
the alternatives are so good. They've done it for longer. In many cases, they've done similar things in multiple categories for a long time, right? So you're, you're giving up track record for the possibility of one more level from wit. And that's a, a tricky thing to do. If Harris ends up going, I don't know, I would say consistently top 40 overall, maybe top 50, looking at that same draft I was referring to earlier, he went 48th overall to Ryan Roof for Rotowire. So, okay, just inside the top 50 for now, could move up under further evaluation. And there, look, with more than a month to go in the season, a great finish or a terrible finish could actually change the outcome somewhat. I think it's, it's at least possible in the case of, especially Harris. I think with Rodriguez and Witt, I think people are pretty well set on who they think those players are after the first year. But because Harris hasn't been up for quite as long, maybe there's a little bit more room in either direction uh, coming off of what happens to uh, him in the final five weeks of the season. But a 44.7% hard hit rate among all these rookies against 104 players, that's the ninth best hard hit rate of all those players. 11.1% barrel raise, getting the ball in the air consistently. Just This looks so good across the board. And I think the the propensity to chase pitches outside the zone, yes, it is a slight concern, but there are some good players that chase a lot of pitches outside the zone. And my working theory on this is part of part of doing damage is making an early decision to swing at a pitch. And sometimes you're going to get fooled doing that. But if you have a an elevated O-swing percentage, but that gets you to an above average or well above average barrel rate, Sometimes the amount of damage you can do offsets those swing decisions. And I think Harris is probably in that group of players that can make that sort of approach work. Plus, given the age, still reasons to believe that he could pretty easily make some more changes. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, let's talk about Adley Rutschman for a moment, because I think if he had been healthy at the beginning of the season, there was a chance that he would have been among the rookie of the year favorites as well, along with Rodriguez and Witt, at least for the for the American League, of course. Great plate skills so far. It's a 247, 357, 431 line. We've talked all season about the surprise Orioles pitching, which is at least partially the function of changing the dimensions in left field. It does reduce the offensive ceiling slightly for hitters in that ballpark, but this looks like a really impressive debut. I know if you look at it at an earned value calculator, you're going to see a low number. I think Rotowire's got Rutschman at a dollar, which is to me a little bit off, not in the sense that their calculation is wrong, but in the sense that you didn't take a zero 
before Rutschman joined your team, if you could take a snapshot of dollar values from the time that he came up until today, you'd probably see something in the range of a top eight catcher pretty easily. And that's great for a guy who's debuting this year. People expected him to be good, but I think the question is how quickly do you think he can get to more power? Because if he does that right away in 2023, there is a chance at least that he'll be slightly undervalued in some leagues. Yeah, well, I mean, he's shown decent power already and also did get off to a little bit of a slow start. And, you know, yet in spite of that, you were talking about auction value. I looked up Rutschman on the Fangraphs calculator for 12 teams and he came came in at $6. And again, that's having missed a a good portion of the season. So uh, you figure, you know, if he had been there since opening day uh, that, uh, you know, he could potentially uh finish in the teens and uh yeah and there's there's definitely a lot a lot of room for growth there i'm just so impressed by the plate skills that he's shown right away with uh strikeout to walk ratios that pretty closely mirror what he did uh in, in the upper minors uh and with similar power too so uh he definitely should be drafted as one of the the top catchers next year And I think we're going to see a little bit of a gap between how he's treated in the high stakes market versus how he's treated in a lot of home leagues. I think that's the latter scenarios where you're more likely to find a bargain in this particular instance. Those plate skills are backed up by some really good underlying numbers. A 24.2% O-swing percentage is excellent from Adley Rutschman. He's just been so good everywhere he's played with the K rate being under 20% at every single minor league stop, double digit walk rates everywhere. We've seen power you know, at double A, especially that was on track. If you gave him a full season's worth, like a major league season's worth of plate appearance at that level, he might have hit 35 home runs in 2021 at double A. So I think we're talking easy 20 to 25 home run power from Rutschman. And I think we're going to see it sooner rather than later. So once you get past the you know, JT Realmuto, Will Smith, maybe Wilson Contreras, like I, I think that's. I think that's about it. I think he's probably a top five catcher already, which is a remarkable thing to have from a player that's just been in the league for a few months. A few other players that fit in this group, though, Al, I think we could say that in some order, Vinny Pasquantino, Jose Miranda, and Nolan Gorman are they're, they're a notch below Harris and Rutschman because I don't think they're going to be guys that go in the first five or six rounds of a lot of drafts. But I think there's a pretty bright future for pretty much all three of these guys. Vinny Pasquantino has a 49.7% hard hit rate. It's a 25 homer pace that he's on already. Missing some time, of course, with an injury right now. But the plate skills are excellent. We didn't see much of anything change in terms of the strikeout rate with the move up to top-level pitching. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about Pasquantino next year. I hope maybe he falls a little under the radar given that he's... Um, you know, been out and, and maybe won't play uh, the, the remainder of the season. But right away, we saw a lot of power. It wasn't always reflected in the stats. Uh, the stats kind of caught up a little bit later. Uh, so I think he could wind up being really uh, underrated and, and underappreciated uh, going into into next year's drafts. And Gorman, for me, was a little bit of a disappointment disappointment this year, partly because of the K rate and partly just how he was used and was never really an, an everyday player for the Cardinals. But maybe again, because of that, maybe he gets a little bit undervalued next year because uh, there's uh, you know, a high walk rate. There's a lot of power there. And I think that 
when we were so excited about him coming up initially, I think that that was valid. Uh, and I, I think there should be a similar level of anticipation for, for Gorman in 2023. Yeah. So I think with the Gorman profile, especially I I'm, I'm guilty of this all the time. I'm always trying to recall similar players coming through and having same kinds of problems. I mean, you're not excited about a 31.3% strikeout rate, but given given the profile that Nolan Gorman showed us throughout his time in the minor leagues, we shouldn't be surprised by that. We saw a 34% K rate when he was mashing at AAA to begin this season. We saw a 26.7% K rate at AA to begin last season, even though things were were going really well from an offensive perspective. And I think the the lower K rate we saw from him late last year at AAA is absolutely a great reminder of what was happening with the pitching at that level. But it's also a reason to have a little bit of optimism about Gorman at least whittling that K rate down into the upper 20s next year. There's always the possibility of a bigger step forward. But the guy that he kind of reminds me of when I look back at some of the the minor league strikeout rates uh, from recent seasons is Austin Riley because Nolan Gorman's been so young for the level. If you look at Austin Riley, 2018, played at AAA. It was his first time at that level. He popped 12 homers in 75 games, had a 29.3% K rate. And I don't think we had the same concerns about AAA pitching in 2018 as we did in, in 2021, but that's still a pretty high strikeout rate. Age to level, though, you'd say that's that's still successful. That's still good. I think that's how we would contextualize what Gorman has done so far. And you go back to 2019 when Austin Riley arrived in the big leagues, was hitting some home runs, 18 homers that year in 80 games, 36.4% K rate, 5.4% walk rate. Gorman's been better than that on both fronts, you know, lower K rate, better walk rate, and does a similar amount of, of damage in terms of having that big barrel rate. So uh, we talked about him a little bit on Under the Radar on Wednesday, and this is a profile that I definitely want for 2023. I think the only thing that I'm really worried about is playing time remaining lighter than it needs to be for him to have the full breakout. But I think if the draft day price ends up being somewhere in the range of pick 150 or later, this makes a lot of sense because the power plays everywhere. The lineup is good. The run production should be there. And there's a chance that he figures some things out at the plate that enables him to push the average up a little bit, push the OBP up a little bit, and everything else is going to come along with that. And the other, I guess, hidden thing in the Nolan Gorman minor league numbers is that he's been a pretty good base stealer in terms of just getting you a handful of bags without getting caught. So you might get non-zero speed from him on top of all that power, which is a little bit of a bonus, right? Getting four or five steals potentially from a player that could hit 25 to 30 home runs, that helps. Every little bit helps in the stolen base category as we continue to see on a yearly basis. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I think if you look at just the season to date numbers, they're not really that impressive. And I think they kind of uh, give us a, a dimmer view of what Gorman's done this year than what he really deserves. And I, I don't always take the X stats uh, as, as a given from him, but given how much of a fly ball hitter he was, how much raw power he showed, uh, a 14.5% barrel rate, a 496 expected slugging seems more in line with what his profile is than the actual 433 slugging. And he's been a really consistent line drive hitter. So this is kind of the flip side of what I was talking about earlier 
with just looking at one year's worth of a line drive rate. But if you look at what a player has done over several years, and granted, this is all almost in the minor leagues, but that has been Gorman's profile as a minor leaguer. And then this year with the Cardinals and the fact that he's repeated that does give me a little bit more faith in that uh, minor league batted ball profile. So I think that that, that does help uh, neutralize the strikeout rate a little bit. We certainly want to see that get lower and I think it will get lower uh, next season, but I don't know that you have to go into this with the assumption that Gorman is somebody who's going to hurt you in batting average, that he's just going to have, kind of mediocre power that's not really going to be, you know, making it worthwhile for you to take the risk that that may not even be there with batting average or the risk that may exist with, um, you know, a continued platoon next year. Yeah. It's, it's easy to see ways it can go right. I think in this profile, but I, I think I'm, I'm also like really bullish on the Cardinals lineup. I just think that's a, it's a good place to be right now. And I think that, that gives you a really nice floor, even if everything doesn't fall into place as quickly as we might want it to. Jose Miranda's in this group too, Al. A low barrel rate, 6.4%, probably the lowest of everybody we've discussed so far, but a good K rate, 21% K rate. We saw pretty good plate skills, just low K rates at least throughout his time in the minors. Hard hit rate is actually very good, 44.4%. That's tied for 11th out of 104 rookie hitters. So there's pretty good good contact quality on a regular basis. What do you make of Miranda? I think he's emerged to have a slightly larger role than we anticipated in the first half when that playing time was a bit inconsistent. Yeah, well, and this is another case like we talked about with Rutschman and with Julio Rodriguez, where it took him a little bit of time to get untracked. And really since the beginning of June, he's been you know much more productive player. Uh, the, the, the power has been good, uh, probably better than the full season numbers would, would lead you to believe. Yeah, I, I, I'm having a little bit of trouble squaring that barrel rate with the power output and the fact that um, you know he's elevated the ball pretty well. So it, it seems like maybe there's room for that to be a little bit higher. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I really am impressed with what Miranda's done uh, in the second half and even going back a little bit further than that. And definitely uh, somebody who belongs in, in 12 teamers next year and probably I would imagine would go fairly late yeah I think live somewhere in those those middle rounds maybe comparable to where Gorman's gonna go if not a couple rounds later I think people can see a ceiling on Gorman easier than they can see another level possibly coming from Miranda but I'm glad he's locked in a spot in that twins lineup over the last few months let's get to some players who I think are pretty clearly holding their own and even impressing in certain areas MJ Melendez, it's the contact quality that is particularly impressive. And I think we're going to get a really big year two from him. Uh, if you miss out on Adley Rutschman, he'd be among my big power targets behind the plate. Probably an easy top 10 catcher for me going into next season, Al, if not even uh, flirting with the, the back of the top five. Uh, I think part of what I like about him is he's played a few more positions than I expected him to. So that playing time might actually kind of check in on the high side for the catcher position, given their willingness to move him around. 
And not only uh, that, but the, yeah, the playing time's going to be there. But also, I, I wonder if he will stay as a leadoff hitter, uh, which he's been in this latter part of the season. Because while I made the comment earlier, not very generous, saying that the, the Royals uh, didn't have really an optimal uh, lineup for run production, they do have a lot of exciting young players. We talked about Pasquantino. Uh, you know, uh, haven't uh, talked about him yet, but you know, Michael Massey uh, would think would have a, a pretty big role uh, next year. Um, you know, it's it's a lineup that I think that will improve next year, and he'll certainly be hitting it ahead of some some good hitters. And you know, of course, I just forgot to mention Bobby Witt. So, um, yeah, there's a real nice opportunity for Melendez there, either at the top or in the middle of the lineup, to be a really good run producer. Walks a lot. Uh, I think there's a little bit of batting average upside above the 221 that he's carried so far. Uh, and it's just a, a nice uh, a nice set of skills. Yeah, it really is, and uh, usually we're comfortable taking a little bit of a batting average hit behind the plate anyway. I don't know if that low average we're seeing from Melendez is necessarily going to be there going forward. I think uh, when you hit the ball as hard as he does and you make pretty good swing decisions, I think you can push that average up to at least the 250, 260 range. That leadoff role is pretty strange. I'm not expecting that to continue. I think they'll put someone else in that spot in 2023, but he'll have a prominent role somewhere around the middle third of that order in Kansas City. Let's talk about Riley Green for a moment. The foot injury that delayed the start of his season seems to be completely healed. We're not seeing much power yet. This is kind of normal for a player this young getting a chance in the big leagues. He'll turn 22 at the end of September. It's a 101 WRC+. So this is even if you're a Tigers fan and you're frustrated that you're not getting home runs or steals or you know, whatever it is you wanted to see from Riley Green from day one, this is not bad. A 2 3 314, 385 line in this environment is actually about a league average sort of line. Uh, the things that I think I've liked about Riley Green, the times I've seen him this season, he takes good at bats. It's kind of strange to say that about a guy who's striking out almost 30% of the time right now. But he doesn't look like a rookie with a lot of the swing decisions that he makes. I think that bodes well for his chances of of doing some some really good things in the future. Uh, I think the average has really nowhere to go but up as that K rate comes down because he's a good all-round hitter. Maybe a little concerned that he's one for five as a base stealer, but at the same time, I think there have always been some questions about Green being more than like an eight to ten steal guy at the big league level anyway. Yeah, that was a concern I had. I didn't draft him anywhere going in. And again, this is, you know, before uh, he got hurt and and there was, you know, a lot of, of hype about him being one of the top rookies this year. And I, I was concerned about the strikeout rate and I was concerned about the, the floor for uh, his stolen bases. And, you know, that's both of those things have really played out so far this year. But I think there's a lot to be excited about here. Uh, he's... He's hit for a lot of raw power. It's just not showing up in the results. He's averaging almost 95 miles an hour uh, in exit velocity on flies and liners, uh, which among rookies puts him pretty close to the top, actually. And it's just a high ground ball rate that's kind of uh, put put a damper on the power production. And, you know, you talk about him making good swing decisions. And one of the ways that that has manifested in terms of results, he's hit 180 batted balls. One has been a pop-up. That's a really good ratio and a, just a really good sign of somebody who's really uh, making good decisions about when to swing and making really uh, solid contact. And uh, I, I think he could prove a lot next year. 
Vitellian uh, pop-up rate. I mean, no one's really at that level, but that's uh, <laughs> it's really encouraging. At 46.1% hard hit rate, that puts him sixth among the 104 rookies that qualify for this particular leaderboard. So yeah, you can you can count the guys ahead of him on one hand. Julio Rodriguez, Vinny Pasquantino, and a few names we're going to get to in a little bit, including Nolan Jones and Lars Newtbar uh, doing a lot to, to make hard contact with their opportunities this season. A couple other interesting names that I wanted to get to are, are guys that are maybe underperforming right now, but there are still reasons to like them. And I think we talked uh, we talked about Jeremy Pena. I put him in the holding his own group because I think the overall body of work this season is still a little better than the more recent body of work. I think the the injuries started to pile up on him back in June, and that has really shaped this season in a in a much more negative way than it appeared uh, coming out of the first six to eight weeks. What are you doing with Pena going forward? Are you are you attributing all this to injuries or some of this making adjustments as a first-time big leaguer as well? I figure it's a little bit of both. And maybe I, I give some weight to the second theory that uh, it's uh, him having to make adjustments that he hasn't really made yet. I was... I was very surprised at how hot he was right out of the gate. Uh, so it's been kind of like the opposite of like a Miranda or a, a Julio Rodriguez kind of season where there, there seemed to be no transition uh, or, you know, no learning curve for, for Pena at all uh, coming up from the minors. Uh, and, and so it's, you know, maybe we're seeing a little bit of that learning curve now, but I think that you do have to also take the injuries into account and maybe just fatigue also that, that comes from your first major league season. So I do expect that there to be a, a level of production that's somewhere in the middle for Pena next year, just because, like I said, I, I didn't foresee how well he was going to hit, uh, you know, the first month or so. But uh, yeah, I don't. I think he's going to be a lot better than he's been uh, since uh, since the middle of July. I'm expecting to have him as a middle infielder or my first bench middle infielder in a lot of leagues going into 2023. But it has been a rough second half for Jeremy Pena, to be clear. Uh, some slight concerns on other rookies. I think O'Neill Cruz, 37.8% K rate. That's going to jump off the page. It's the highest among rookies with 200 or more played appearances so far this season. We're seeing the power. We're seeing some speed. We're seeing feats of stat cast strength. I mean, we've seen the one of the hardest, I think the hardest batted ball of the stat cast era from him. We've seen ridiculous throws defensively. Tools on tools on tools as advertised. Where do we go from here with that strikeout rate, though, over the next year with Cruz? Because I think this is the kind of thing that's going to scare some people away who might have been previously interested in targeting Cruz as a somewhat early round pick. He could have been a guy that if he'd come up and posted a 25 to 30% K rate, he might be going in the top 75 overall in the very early drafts for next season. Well, you know, tell me if you think this is really off base, but I, I kind of see, you know, Javier Baez comp here for Cruz, uh, you know, just loads of power, uh, stolen base potential, uh, a very low batting average floor, uh, but, you know, for, for all his warts, I mean, Baez, not this season, but for, you know, a string of seasons has been among the more valuable shortstops. So that that's kind of where I see Cruz going. I don't see him necessarily ever ascending to uh, the level of being like a first uh, first rounder, second rounder. But, uh, you know, somebody who as soon as next year 
will be very widely rostered in, in 10 and 12 team leagues. And because of what you said, DVR and people being scared off by the strikeout rate and the, the low batting average uh, that he could be a late rounder. Yeah. I mean, he's pulling the ball a lot. So maybe that's uh, one of the reasons on top of the strikeout rate, that the average has been so low, but the Baez, the Baez approach, I think, is a, a fair one to bring up here. 35.7% O swing percentage so far. I think that's a little better than than some of the Baez yeah. numbers. But at the same time, if you have a ton of swing and miss, you play up the middle, you don't walk at an elite rate, but kind of an acceptable rate. This can work. It's all going to come back to price. I guess that I, I'm trying to figure this out. What are the odds that the Pirates give O'Neill Cruz more time in the minor leagues? If he if he begins next season and his slash line looks similar to how it looks right now, is that enough to demote him? Or are they happy with the power, the speed, and the defense to just let him keep figuring it out against top level pitching? Are we are we talking about Triple A as a realistic downside, or is that a very unlikely downside given? the good things that he's already shown in his profile. To me, it seems realistic because of how long they waited to bring, to bring Cruz up this year. Uh, they, they wanted him to, to work things out and he did improve in AAA as, as the season went on uh, before he got promoted. So it, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I won't say I'm expecting it, but it wouldn't surprise me if he has a rough spring that he goes back down. Yeah, six for four or six for 10 so far as a base dealer has been caught four times in those 10 attempts. Uh, very interested to see if he keeps running in September, if he can move that success rate up because getting some relatively cheap speed on top of all that power and that growth potential, that might make him a risk profile that I'm into depending on the price, but still need to see more uh, before I can make a firm decision on Cruz for the immediate future. Um, a couple other players that are, are showing some concerning numbers. I would say Alec Thomas having a 4.2% barrel rate over now 264 batted ball events is a bit of a concern. He does control the strike zone pretty well, um, but I wonder like what that really means for his shorter term power ceiling and, and even his role. If he's going to maybe end up on the big side of a platoon in what's becoming an increasingly crowded Arizona outfield. Thomas was one of the rookies that I stashed in a couple of leagues uh, early on this year because I just thought that there was going to be, you know, be a really good opportunity for him to get playing time. And of course, that that did come eventually. Uh, and and I liked the power, but I I actually let him go before he actually got called up because he was just hitting a ton of ground balls in AAA, and then that just continued on uh, after getting promoted uh, to the Diamondbacks. So. That's not always been the the case for Thomas. So, um, I mean, he's always certainly trended in that direction. But I mean, what he's doing right now is is kind of extreme. So, um, I, I think there's hope. I think there's hope for Thomas. I just I think so much of what is is squelching his value is just the ground balls, uh, because defensively he certainly can justify a full time job. Um, as long as he hits just a little bit better. And I, I think that that's, uh, that's entirely possible. Yeah, I could see Thomas being more of a target for me in mono leagues or maybe in draft and hold really deep formats as opposed to someone that I'm expecting to have a 2023 breakout that'll be good enough to make an impact in a 12-team mixed league. 
You know, I, I think that's the that's the approach I've got right now. We'll see what the final month plus brings from him, but a surprisingly low barrel rate for a guy that was a really productive hitter, pretty much every stop coming through the minors. Uh, we've talked a lot about C.J. Abrams, so we don't have to get into great detail. It's still a 3.6% barrel rate for him. I just think we're going to have to wait for the power. It's a question of if the hit tool is good enough from the jump with the Nationals for him to push himself into a, a high lineup position and to take advantage of the speed. If he can do that, then the barrel rate won't matter. But if he's underwhelming as a hitter and ends up in the bottom third of the order, the counting stats are going to lag and he's going to be a very frustrating player to have on your roster next season. And I I think it's going to come down to price. My guess is that the price is going to be fairly low, maybe even outside the top 200 overall. And given our need for cheap stolen bases, it might be a risk worth taking even with the warts. Yeah, I would actually be shocked if he went in the, uh, the top 200 on average next year, given the the kind of rookie season that he's had. And, um, you know, not not really big stolen base numbers. I mean, granted, not that much time spent uh, at, at AAA this year, but um, not the sort of numbers that I think that would, would make people as excited about him next year as they were going into this year. So I agree. We're going to have to wait for the power, and I wouldn't necessarily expect it to come in 2023. Prior to this season, the the lost 2020 season plus injuries really wreaked havoc, I think, on Abrams' development. He had 34 games played between rookie ball and low A in 2019. He had 42 games played at double A before his season ended with an injury. So we're talking about 76 professional games before this season and kind of got pushed into action earlier than expected with the uh, Tatis injury in San Diego. So I do think it's it's a long-term gamble that I would make in keeper and dynasty. It's a to me a, a logical sort of buy low in those formats for sure. It's less clear how quickly it might come together though given the unusual shape of his professional career for reasons that are clearly out of his control. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Top 200 seems unlikely given the problems we've seen from him so far. Uh, Vidal Bruhan, by the way, I'm just out on Bruhan. Like, I'm no longer interested. I hope he lands in a, in a place where he can play more at least. Maybe he'll be a good accumulator if that happens, but I don't think the Rays have any sort of short-term intention to let him play more. And I'm bummed because I liked him quite a bit coming up as a prospect. Well, and he's 24 now, so you do have to wonder how much of an opportunity he has to to really break out. Uh, but I, I think he needs a, a change of scenery because this year's just had to have been a, a super frustrating one for him. Um, just even even a triple A, 15 for 25 in stolen bases. Uh, that's been Bruhan's main appeal coming up as a prospect, at least fantasy wise. And uh, I just have to wonder if the shuttling back and forth and just not being able to get in a groove at the major league level, if that kind of carried over to his demotion. I just wonder about that generally. You see that sometimes where players will regress the second, third time around to triple a, um, and if, if maybe there is some frustration or impatience that sets in, it just seems like Bruja needs a fresh start somewhere. Yeah. It, it can't be easy to, to settle in against big league pitching when you're up and down like that. And then to also have the consistency even at AAA, even at a level where you've been an above-average player before, the performance this season in terms of WRC Plus is actually better than what we've seen 
from Bruhan at a couple of his upper level stops. The 128 WRC plus this year is better than the same, uh, the numbers from the same level a year ago. He had a 111 a year ago. And I think in a little bit of time in double A back in 2019, he was at 113. So there's some improvement relative to previous marks. But I just think the situation has to change if I'm going to get really excited about Bruhan as more than a very, very late flyer. And I didn't think it was going to play out this way. I really thought there was going to be a consistently productive profile from him once he got to the big leagues. A few of my unheralded favorites. Uh, I, I love Nolan Jones because he's got the barrel rate and good swing decisions working. I was very surprised when the Guardians demoted him. So the the interest level, of course, is going to hinge on what it looks like the playing time is going to be for next season. A lot less clear for him than many of the other players that we've talked about. I'm in on Lars Newtbar, Al. I think the, the added power, control the strike zone, uh, the opportunity that he's had in that outfield. I think the Bader trade basically opened up a spot for Newtbar to be a regular, but he's playing quite a bit even before that because of Bader's injury. This seems pretty legit, so I'm very interested in him looking ahead. Uh, Elhuris Montero, I, I've mentioned him on a few of our waiver shows. I think the Rockies are going to give him everyday time at the big league level next year, and I think he's going to be relatively cheap in most of our drafts. Yeah, no, I, I like all these players uh, too. Um, yeah, Newt Barr has been he's been sensational for the last few weeks. Like you said, playing time's not been an issue. Uh, yeah, I hope that the the Rockies don't uh, botch it uh, with Montero because uh, there's there's some good skills there. Um, so they're. You know, they're favorites of mine as well. I'm sorry to, to horn in on, on your favorites, but uh, there's a lot to like. Emmanuel Rivera, a recent regular on the waiver pods, gets a mention in this section as well. I think it's a little bit more like the Nolan Jones situation, though, where I I just want to see what the depth chart looks like further into the winter. Like, yeah, maybe I'll take the occasional chance on him if I'm doing some draft and holds. Um, but I think in terms of your typical 12, 15 team leagues with Seven player benches, the the most common formats. I don't really know what to make of him just yet. I like some of the things we're seeing though in the underlying numbers. Um, recent call ups, we've got a few more names that are high ceiling players: Vaughn Grissom, Corbin Carroll, Connor Henderson. We've talked about Carroll and Henderson a lot on recent episodes. That's why we kind of kept them out of the conversation here for the most part. I think you could look at Carroll and Henderson especially and see early picks for next year. Like they can, they can prove a lot in a very small amount of time. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Matt Eddy from baseball America pointed this out on Twitter because the rookie of the year awards also have a, a, a bats component. We could see both of those players sit against lefties on occasion just to make sure that they don't hit that threshold and become ineligible for the rookie of the year award. Um, so just, Keep that in mind too, but those, for the most part, are going to be some tougher matchups anyway. So I, I don't know if it changes a lot about their immediate outlook. Maybe a slight downgrade to the counting stats. I still think they're extremely talented players that could be top fifty picks, maybe if everything goes right. More likely in that seventy-five to one hundred range, though, uh, based on clear paths to everyday roles for next season. Yeah, if Carroll and Henderson both uh, hit really well because they've you know, they've just come up. Um, so uh, if they hit well and, and play enough uh, over the remainder of the season, they they could really uh, move up 
move themselves up a lot in terms of ADP. But I think people will probably cut them a break if they do struggle a little bit. Uh, they certainly should, because uh, I think what you're talking about, like around pick 75, that's really, that's probably the floor of where they should be going next year, regardless of what, what happens in September and October. Got a few other players that uh, you've pointed out that are worth mentioning here. Um, I think Christopher Morell is one of the biggest surprises of this rookie class just because some of the numbers in the minors were easy to overlook and he's shown some pretty interesting skills the kinds of skills that actually jump off the page to us as a a more uh, stat cast driven community what kind of player do you think morell is going to be in in 2023 and beyond well i i would think that what he's done this year he would have um secured a regular spot for, for the Cubs in 2023. Uh, you certainly want to see the the strikeout rate come down a little bit, but you know, he's, he's done what you would expect, which is, uh, you know, for a player to have a harder time making contact coming from the minors to the majors, the steals were a huge surprise early on. He's got nine steals, but almost all of them came within the first, I think, couple of weeks. So it looked like he was going to be the stolen base juggernaut that he never really was in the minors uh, above rookie ball. Um, and he's probably not going to be that. So I think maybe you look at him next year as somebody who might make it into the 10 to 15 stolen base range uh, with a decent batting average at best, but but potentially a lot of power, especially if he can just make a little bit more contact because he's uh, just hitting, he's driving the ball, uh, he's elevating it and uh, just making a ton of hard contact. The only rookies, qualified rookies, that have averaged a higher exit velocity on flies and liners are Julio Rodriguez and Michael Harris. So that's great company to be in. And if he just makes a little bit more contact, um, brings the batting up average up a little bit, he could be a, a tremendous bargain next year. Yeah, 86th percentile in barrel rate. That's across the entire league, not just among rookies, and 89th percentile in sprint speed. So even though the success rate as a base dealer hasn't been as high as we'd like, it makes you think there's at least room for some growth there as well if he can work on some of the, the finer points of that craft. Uh, a lot of ways it could go right for Morrell. So one of the bigger uh, pop-up surprises and, and maybe a guy that ends up having a significant role on the next uh, good Cubs team. Um, Seiya Suzuki, I think, it, I don't like when pros from other leagues come over and they, they get counted as rookies. It's just not, it's not fair. He's a pro. Uh, but I actually think year two, in Major League Baseball from him is going to be better. Injuries slowed him down. I I, I like this profile quite a bit, so I, I could see myself ending up with quite a bit of Seiya Suzuki. Um, but I think the of all the other kind of afterthoughts, Juan Yepes has been injured and has missed some time. Brendan Donovan has surprised us. Ezekiel Duran, at least having an opportunity in Texas, whereas I think at the Yankees he would have had a hard time really breaking through if he'd stayed there. Uh, he's pretty interesting as well. Of all these kinds of guys, I think Joey Bart is one that has actually changed something in the last couple of months that has me paying attention. After that last demotion to AAA, he's come up and he's been a different sort of player, a lot more consistent offensively. I'm still going to have some swing and miss in his profile. I don't know if he's ever going to get rid of all of that, but he's kind of changed the conversation for me from maybe the Giants have seen enough and they have to go get their next long-term catcher to... I think they have their next long-term catcher in Joey Bard, or at least they can afford to continue giving him a look in that role in 2023 to see what happens next. 
Yeah, he's a player really to watch over this last month because in the past month plus, uh, he has, as you indicated, DVR, made some huge improvements, really dramatic improvement in the strikeout rate. And so obviously good things happen when you make more contact, especially if you have a little bit of power and and Bart has more than a little bit of power. So, uh, you know, I don't know that he's necessarily able to do anything that would put him in the the number one catcher conversation uh, rest of season, but could be if, if he doesn't uh, you know get too much on the radar in this final month, maybe could be a, a really nice target for number two catcher. At July 6th, I believe, was when he returned from that demotion at AAA. In the time since then, Joey Bard is hitting 283 with a 325 OBP, a 478 slugging percentage, six home runs in his last 120 plate appearances, a 29.2% K rate. You can live with that. That works. That's good enough. Behind the plate, if that's what he's going to do and play good defense, handle the staff well, and it just seemed like watching this Giants team a bit more than I have in past years too, you could sort of see him growing into an important leadership kind of role. Like when you can see that on TV, when you can see that from afar, I think it's also a good thing just in terms of, of locking down more playing time and, and getting that confidence that you really need to, to hold down the position in the long run. So a quietly nice turnaround from Bart after a really rough start to this season. Of course, we will dig into pitchers on a future episode. That's going to come Tuesday. We've got our waiver episode live on YouTube, 4 o'clock Eastern. That's the Athletic Fantasies YouTube page if you want to watch us on Friday. The pod version of that will drop a few hours after that. You can find Al on Twitter at LMilkYourBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're back with you on Friday. Uh-huh.